Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Andrew Shagliv is a Toronto-based figurative painter, born in Russia and raised in Israel. He currently lives and works in Canada. His education includes a diploma in classical animation from Sheridan in 2005, a year-long apprenticeship with Norwegian painter Odd Nerdnum in 2007, and a Bachelor of Fine Art from the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in 2012. Andrew's recent work oscillates between motifs of intimate queer portraiture in domestic or outdoor settings and larger socio-psychological images of crowds and motions particularly from the late Soviet era, resulting in the collapse of major spiritual systems and their relevance to our own contemporary Western psychic uprootedness and instability. In both bodies of work, he is driven by a desire to address the psychology of the sitter in an empathetic way. On a formal level, he is fascinated with the effects of light, color, and movement. Please help me welcome Andrew Shagliff to the podcast. How are you tonight, Andrew? Pretty good. Not bad. I'm really excited to chat with you. I first saw your work at the Artist Project this year, and I was really taken with it because I could see that it had a narrative quality to it, and I wanted to know more about the story. Before we get into that, I thought we could start with giving us a little bit of context about your background, because you have a really interesting layered background as an artist. So you started originally as an animator? That's correct. That's something I still do commercially for a living. So I work in animation as a designer. I went to Sheridan College, graduate back in 2005. And then from there, you didn't just stop at being an animator. What was the next sort of incantation of your development? So, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to paint. Like, that's that's always been my passion. In fact, it's kind of bizarre. I feel like I was almost pushed into the commercial arts when I moved to Canada. So I was about 17 when I moved here, and I didn't know anything. And I went to a good high school, but a non-arts high school. Mm-hmm. And I guess I didn't have anybody get into Sheridan right out of high school in like a decade. And my art teacher was like, you have to go. Forget about OCAT. Forget about everything else. You have to go here. It's a very hard school to get into, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up in the commercial arts kind of like as a fluke almost, you know? What a great program to get into because it is a hard program to get into. So I'm grateful because I always have something like a career to fall back on, you know, because a lot of people that go into fine art, if they don't come from money, oftentimes you have to have side jobs and you work in coffee shops and you do little gigs. Yeah. At least I draw for a living. You know what I mean? That's true. That's the best of both worlds. Yeah. (laughs) And for a little while, you did actually an apprenticeship over in Norway. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's correct. So I was 23, 24. So I went to study with this guy called Nerdrum. He's kind of famous in certain circles, I guess. The way I got there was also a bit, not a fluke, but I took a workshop with him in Philadelphia. And uh, he's not really known to like, come to his shows and he's like he's like he shows in a bunch of galleries in new york let alone give workshops and i think it was i don't know again i was a younger guy i was just googling scrolling through google and i was i think it was on page 
24 on Google or something like searching his name or something ridiculous like that. And I'm like, whoa, an urgent workshop in the Pennsylvania Academy. And I'm like, weird, that sounds bizarre. So I signed up, took the workshop. Part of the workshop, we were allowed to bring a couple of pieces for critique. And I just brought a, I just brought a painting. He seemed to like it. I mentioned that uh, I know you take apprentices. It's a very old school type of thing. And it's like, sure, yeah. And it was, a very, again, very old school because like he's like, yeah, I want you to send me a physical portfolio of photographs. I mean, who does that? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> so it wasn't a link to a website. So for a good year, I was basically collecting, like doing little photographs of my work and putting them in the tiny little portfolio on the side and thinking almost kind of like gave up on this because I thought like it's never going to happen. It's a very famous artist. Like I'm never going to get it. And I think one day I just woke up. I'm like, you know what? Screw this. Like, you're not going to get it, but send that portfolio anyways. You're not going to get it if you're going to send it. You're not going to get it if you don't going to send it. At least that way, you know, you tried. Mm-hmm. And it's been a year since the, the workshop. And I send it and I UPSed it, I believe. And you can track it. So I know that literally the day after they got it, I got an email from his wife. It's like, hey, Audrey remembers you very well. He really likes your work. You can come over, stay as long as you want. I'm like, incredible like what what just happened like that that was nuts and how long did you go for i was there for six months in norway and then i ended up it was a really fun year i was traveling that whole year at the time my partner my boyfriend at the time was teaching in south korea so i did norway i went to stay there for six months went to south korea for i think four months if i remember correctly and after that i ended up in paris because odd had a quote, small house. The small house turned out to be a mansion an hour outside of Paris that he had a bunch of his students crash in, which was unbelievable. So imagine like these 23-year-old children, really, just sharing a massive castle. The family came to visit us at some point. Like, so we had it for ourselves. So it was me and like two other tenants, two other girls. So like me and two girls just sharing this enormous castle for two months in Paris in the summer. It was like unbelievable, you know. Sounds like something out of a movie, actually. Not a crazy, yeah, yeah. But that must have been incredible. So did you paint the whole time then you were in Paris? I had a pass to the Louvre. I mean, it was very, very lucky. I was still young enough. I think the cutoff at the time was 25. So if you were under 25, it was as cheap or if, if not cheaper to buy a yearly membership than to go twice. So oh, of wow. course I opted for the membership and like, you know, I'm the, I would be like, yeah, today I'm just going to go look at the two Vermeers they have in here and that's it and walk out. Mm-hmm. So I think I've been to the Louvre, like those two months I've been to the Louvre maybe like 30 times. It was crazy. You know, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to go today. Like, why not? Yeah, that's amazing. So, so that was pretty nice. That's a crazy story. And I love it. Like the fact that you got to do that and I'm trying to picture this massive mansion that you got yeah, to see. Yeah, it was, it, was bizarre. it was like, yeah, it just sounds like a fairy tale. It was kind of nuts. Yeah. And do you feel like that's what really got you back into your painting and then sort of spiraled to where you I are? I think honestly, just again, like as far as he didn't teach us anything, I can tell you some funny, funny stories as the way, the way he critiques or the way he teaches, if you want to call it that. He didn't really, there was no plans. There was no, there's no real formal training at all at that point. But I think I learned by osmosis. I think that's when I really started to learn painting because I just saw a man that like consistently goes into a studio every single day and produces just on a technical level, produces work that is consistent in results. Even on days when he calls them his bad days, mm-hmm. it's still pretty amazing. And it was also pretty great to see somebody, you know, he always paints from life, which uh, that's not how I work. I love working from life too. Like it was pretty cool to see somebody like, develop let's say a portrait he was working on his head and 
it seemed like, like and the figure is there, everything is there. And he's just like, oh yeah, I need to move the whole composition like an inch or two inches to the right. So he just like throws dirty turpentine on this beautiful painting, like sands it all down and restarts. And that was a great, like that's a lesson in itself. You don't compromise like the grander vision of the whole thing if you're like too attached to a detail or in this case, a finished head, you know what I mean? Like a beautifully painted head, you know? So yeah, the, I, I learned not so much directly because he taught us anything technical but by just watching him paint every day you know like we if we wanted to we can either work at our studio during the day or we can just like chill and chat and you know, just watch him paint oh that must have been incredible that was really master cool. at work and just yeah it, literally yeah. yeah that's great and so when i met you and i was looking at your works you do figurative work and their narrative can you talk a little bit about the work that you're currently doing so the work of the show was sort of divided between, uh, I guess, two bodies of work that I was kind of like engaging with the past couple of years. One of them is just like, I guess, in, in its narrative, it's like queer kind of uh, imagery, like within domestic settings, usually. I didn't have that much of that work at that show because I knew I have another art fair coming up and it's going to be a lot more of it right now, the Toronto Outdoor Exhibition. The bigger body of work that I had at the previous fair, the, the Artist Project, was um, these series of images of crowds. And that's a lot more heavily narrative. The way that body of work started was maybe a couple of years ago, whenever that the insurrection the, on the Capitol uh, in the States happened, the, the last days of Trump. And I just remember like living through this chaos and I really the feeling of uncertainty and of, of living in a space where, or a time rather, where this idea of truth became so amorphous and you don't really know what truth meant anymore. Like that, that, that feeling really reminded me of something that I was already familiar with, even though I was a very, very little kid, but I know through stories and through even like personal family stories, that sense of uncertainty of what, what is real, what is not anymore, like I knew about. And that's, I'm talking about a, a, an event like late 80s, early 90s, back in Russia, which is where I was born. There was this very charismatic TV personality. His name is Anatoly Kashpirovsky. And he was, he billed himself as a healer slash psychiatrist, whatever, whatever passes a psychiatrist and back mm -hmm. there in Soviet Russia, God knows what that is. Again, apparently this guy, he was like, like a guru. And uh, you also have to think time-wise, like there was not a lot of TV channels and he had access to primetime television. If I remember correctly, and again, don't quote me on this because I was like five years old, but mm -hmm. like maybe once a week and the entire country was really transfixed and especially older women. I remember my grandmother like setting up a jug of water or a glass of milk by the TV to be quote, psychically charged by this guy. Cause that's, he, again, he built himself as a healer and a lot of people really bought into it. Like but the uh, psychic healing, a lot, a lot of paraplegics would come to his performances, sometimes cancer patients. It's actually kind of sad to think about it. And I'm sure like placebo effects actually does help people. So if you're suffering from mental health issues, listening to somebody meditate with you for an hour, probably a good thing, actually. It will help calm you down, make you feel better. Cancer patients, not so much, you know? So that was sort of like my entry point into the work from a narrative standpoint. I wanted to capture that sense of uncertainty and chaos. I really didn't want to paint Trump crowds too. We wanted to stay away from that. So I started painting these crowds of images that, that I um, sourced from like YouTube videos and like just like found imagery like through YouTube of people that would come to like, I don't know what to call them, performances, mm -hmm. seances, whatever you want to call them. And a lot of the people that came to the show told me that like, oh, there's this like a, like a church basement. It kind of looks like that. It looks like a, like Pentecostal meetings because like you kind of would like touch people and heal them, uh, stuff like that. And for me, another aspect about that work that I guess I'm like also very interested in or uh, that, that fascinates me is just 
on a more universal level, I think human beings, or a lot of us, I think, innately are looking for something sublime to transcend the self and uh, also to connect through spiritually with a bigger idea, I guess. And at the time, because communism was collapsing and a lot of people were grappling because of the, the ideology of the present at the time or the past now, I suppose, was gone and questioned, people were really grappling for something else spiritually. And that for me was also very, very interesting. And again, I'm, when I was painting these images, I'm not judging any of these people. If anything, I try to like approach from a sense of empathy. Like mm -hmm. I said, like, it reminds me of a grandma. I love my grandma. That's sort of what that body of work is about. And as to currently slightly related to the last, what I was talking about, but not exactly, I'm starting to develop a new body of work that deals more with Russian immigration. And because I don't have that much stuff done yet, I don't really want to talk about it too, too much. But because I'm an immigrant myself, I have obviously a lot of friends and families. These are going to be like probably people are going to be my models and like people are going to be working with for the, the next year or so. That sounds great. I mean, you have a lot that you can work with back and forth. I was thinking as you were talking, you started those paintings and it was an interesting time because we were in the pandemic and we were being pushed away from people. So the fact that you were actually doing works that had this whole sense of community and maybe that's what drew me in as well. We were just getting back to doing what felt normal with going to like an arts fair and being around others, like which we hadn't done for so long with the pandemic. It nicely plays into that timing of everything. Yeah, I think for me, like another thing, I guess, with the crowd paintings, you know, when, when you're in, a, in an environment of a crowd, I guess like just energy-wise, you just feed off of the energy of everything that is around you. And I guess that's also a little bit what the work is about, this idea of um, desiring for something through another or through others in this case. Yeah. And so you're currently getting ready for the Toronto Outdoor Show, as you mentioned. That's correct. Yes. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. That, and also, on unfor well, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know, I decided to frame all the works myself. So for this show, it's going to be a lot more of the, the queer subject matter. And a lot of the works are smaller, they're slightly older. And I decided to teach myself how to frame things with glass. And I was cutting all the frames myself and uh, build a whole jig for it. And it was kind of exciting, kind of fun. Because unlike painting, which is, I feel like that's such a big part of me. I'm like self-critical when things go bad. I'm, I think people tend to like romanticize this idea of like, oh, it's like a Bob Ross in the studio. You're having fun all the time. No, there's on the bad days, it's terrible. You, I hate myself. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. It's a nightmare. And on the good days, you know, it's amazing. It's great. Yeah. Right? It's, it's like a roller coaster up and down. I like that um, analogy of Bob Ross. <laughs> well, it's not, that's, I think that's what people like, people yeah, tend to fetishize fine yeah, art as like, oh, you're having a good time all the time. Not really, you know, not always. <laughs> there is the uh, artistic struggle and problem solving end of it. Yeah, but the thing that the, all, the reason I brought it up is that the frame making, because I'm, again, obviously I'm not professional at that at all. So I feel like, oh, okay, I'm actually having kind of fun. It's kind of like a little side hobby that like, I get to build my own frames, like, this little bit of woodworking was kind of fun. And it expands your skills. So that's it, great. Yeah, sure. And saves me a little bit of money, I guess. That's but, uh, true. That's <laughs> a good point as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, based on your experiences, like you've had these varied experiences from your commercial side to the fine arts side, what kind of advice would you give to a young artist who's trying to decide which avenue to go? And, you know, how do Ooh. they decide as a young person? Gosh, I mean, honestly, don't feel like I'm in a position to advise anybody on anything, but I don't know. It's like, you're always going to be, okay, real talk. It really depends on your financial background. If you can't afford it, don't have a side job. Just do the fine art thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you're coming from money, of course. But then again, for somebody's passion can be their commercial work. They can be like 
you know, I have friends that are like, I can think off the top of my head of like a, a list of people that are amazing designers. They, all they want to do is design characters or like really are passionate about animation or storytelling. And that's cool. The thing is that that's never been me. For me, I feel like as far as my commercial work, how should I put it? It's kind of like I have a certain hand-to-eye coordination that I rent out to the highest bidder by the hour. <laughs> so it's, it's there to pay the bills, you know? Yeah. It's never been this great. And, and by the way, I'm somebody who love I love film. I love cinema. And I think like as an art form, animation is, you can make amazing things in it as, as any other art form. You know, I'm not knocking the art form, but when you are in a uh, commercial environment, you're not really doing art most of the time it's just kind of a cog in a wheel and you have to be aware of that if you're going into into the commercial arts you're there to perform a certain function in a much 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 larger machine again not to also not to romanticize the fine art world that has a, a whole host of problems of its own and the gallery world is really difficult and tough to go through again as far as advice <laughs> I, I don't know I don't, I don't know if i have anything profound to say. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm an emergent artist myself, so I'm still learning, you know? You mentioned you have a love of film. What are some of your favorites and how did you get into the film? Is it through the animation? Yeah. So when I was actually through a buddy of mine, when I was much, much younger, I think it was like 19, maybe a good friend of mine who is, by the way, speaking of amazing people that like are meant for the commercial arts, an incredible designer. He was a big film buff and he was the first one that exposed me to Andrei Tarkovsky's work. And I remember like just watching a lot of movies with him, really expanding my understanding of what cinema is. I do remember watching Tarkovsky for the first time specifically, I think it was The Mirror. And I was just like, I was so blown away. I was like, oh my God, film can do that. You can do that with movies. It's unbelievable. I mean, that I, I don't know, like we can talk about Tarkovsky till tomorrow. It's, it's a, that's a whole topic on its own. So I think I was sort of like, I don't want to call it brought up, but like I'm talking about like 19 and up those years on a lot of like, I don't know, international, indie, foreign, European cinema, Tarkovsky, Kislovsky, Almodovar, Wong Kar Wai. It's slower, it's contemplative, it's very atmospheric. Maybe that's that's a connection to painting because it's, it's, it's really like with Tarkovsky, like you kind of pause, like you, you with all the names that I listed actually, like the supplies to, they're very, very atmospheric movies. And it's more about transporting to a sense of feeling through imagery. It's a kind of, kind of a visual poetry. And I think, I think there's a very direct, obvious link to painting there. Maybe that's why it was so easy for me to like fall in love with stuff like that. I and mean, I know that a lot of people... It's not everybody's cup of tea. So a lot of people are going to like look at this stuff and be like, oh, this is so boring. How are you watching these movies? They're so long and tedious, you know? So maybe the the painting, painter in me, like I have patience for this, you know? And and do you see a connection between any of your paintings and any of the films that you love or? I think, well, first of all, because my, a lot of my work is very narrative. So I think there's a direct link there because I'm, again, probably because I'm coming from the commercial arts and I'm kind of like, have been formally taught to think in narrative, like the, there's a direct link there. Maybe it's also because I, I do love literature too. I do, I read a lot. So that again, the narrative stuff is kind of has to be there almost for me with my work. Yeah. I don't know. Like I also, so I, oftentimes I also I, like literally like first, so let's say for the crowd stuff, I was, it's not films, but I was, I was literally painting off of like video stills on like I found on YouTube, for example, for a bunch of these images. And I kind of, I just on a formal level, I really like the fragmentation, the pixelation, the erosion that happens naturally with film. Like, for example, the uh, one of the images, it was a triptych in the show. So I had three images that I, that I took off of one video. And the video itself was, I found it on YouTube. 
It was pretty terrible quality, which I like. <laughs> the original was recorded clearly on a VHS, so it's another level of erosion off of some television program in the late 80s in Russia. So God knows what the quality there was. So there's like levels of fragmentation that the image has already gone through. And plus I'm pausing video still. So there's like this blurry movement that, again, I was really visually, viscerally drawn to, which I find really satisfying to look at. Yeah. That's interesting. The layers of removal too, from the original Mm -hmm. format that it was filmed for or at least shown in like it is how how we can get so removed and, yeah and then it plays too with that idea i think of how we remember things you know yeah. you talk about it as a child right so even our memories tend to be that's what that's why i preface like i i think i said it a bunch of times don't yeah. quote me on this but if i remember <laughs> yeah. correctly i was five years old but i think i yeah. think this happened you know yeah well yeah. that's interesting yeah I've, I've never thought about going back to something from childhood like that and looking at it through the adult lens so that's a really interesting think, concept you know i think maybe like the reason this like really put a big mark on me is i remember my mom and my dad getting to a really big fight over this because <laughs> my dad made fun of my grandma and my mother for like buying into the stuff yeah. And, but my mom wrote a letter to Kaspirovsky, apparently. And uh, she Ooh. had my dad send it to him. And my dad's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mail the letter, blah, blah, blah. And I think six months later, she found it in his overcoat. Um, and I remember, again, I was a small child. So I was like five or six. But I remember a big hoopla in the house, everybody yelling, how dare you? Da, 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 da. So maybe that's, you know, like trauma from childhood. God knows. Maybe it just marked me and just like really remember that event. Yeah. Uh, it stood out. It's kind of like funny. My dad was just like, well, this is ridiculous. Like, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's an interesting concept, really, when you think about it, like what people follow and believe and I think when we look at TV, especially in today's context of reality TV, like it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. A lot of it's produced and scripted and manufactured. Yeah. And, yeah. So that's interesting. I know I asked you to give advice, but I was wondering in your learning stage as an emerging artist, have you gotten a piece of advice that you think is really excellent and has sort of helped you form where you yeah. are today? Gosh. Well, for example, there's like really concrete things. For example, this is something that both a friend of mine was a kind of a pretty successful artist at this point. He works in New York. We both went to school together. He was graduating the year I got. So I guess I didn't mention this in the so far. I also, after studying with Auda, ended up going to the Pennsylvania Academy a couple of years later. So that's where I really learned painting, studied painting rather. So a friend of mine who was, he was graduating the year I got in. And also one of our faculty members, which actually makes me wonder, maybe our faculty was the first one who said that. And then my buddy like just copied him. But in a nutshell, the advice was don't ever make studies, just make art. Mm -hmm. And you'll you'll learn your craft through making the art. But at least at the end of the process, you made some work. And it's easier said than done. Like, I think now I'm closer to being there. Certainly back in the day, I was making a ton of studies because I felt really inconfident, I guess, technically. Like, I, I, it took me a long time to really learn painting. And he was like, yeah, stop doing this. What, what are you doing? Are you wasting your time? Like, start making art. Why are you doing these silly studies? And yes, like, it might be embarrassing, but like, at the end of the day, you're going to like, you're going to make something, you're going to make a work. So that's, that's one piece of advice that I can like just immediately uh, sticks out. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because I would think at that learning stage that you would be encouraged more to do the studies than the work of art. So that's fantastic. Sure, yeah. And I was thinking about like, I think I call pieces studies when I don't like them. <laughs> that's, see, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> you're a study. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's the, the critical eye of the artist, right? Like you're yeah. not working, so you'll be a study. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know if you relate to that or not. <laughs> well, the, the thing is like, it's harder to do that trick if like scale is involved. So if you're working on a massive piece and it's just like not working, I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't call it a study. I would just like take, I would just like take gray paint and like paint over the whole canvas and reuse it. Because yeah. I just, I feel like oh, I'm wasting a canvas here, you know? Which, yeah. by the way, happens all the time. That's another thing. Maybe it's not an advice, but it's something also brings back to like odd, odd nurture. Something that I see him do quite frequently when, when something, well, not that frequently, again, he's a great, great painter. When things don't work and you're fighting with them, like, I guess, going back to myself, I very often repaint canvases. Like, just can't, it costs, materials cost money, you know? I just you can't afford not to. And there's, and the thing is, I'm also, maybe it's my OCD. I'm pretty relentless. Like, so like sometimes somebody has to drag me out of the studio and of course nobody does. And I do destroy paintings. You know what I mean? Like I, some, some, some things are not working. Just walk away, just walk away, go walk away, turn around. Don't look at it for a week. I wish I had the willpower to do that, but I know I ruin paintings sometimes. And then like, well, what do you, what can you do? I'm just going to repaint over this thing and start again. For example, I have a studio, uh, sorry, a painting in my studio that I'm working on right now. I think this is going to be the fourth time I'm going to be completely restarted. And it's the same painting. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> and with oil paint, it's kind of a pain because like, at least, thank God it's summer now. So like it dries faster. But, yeah. you know, like in the winter, like a big oil painting, like if you're working on the whole surface, you can wait like a week between sessions, you know what I mean? Before going back to it, depending on how, how warm your studio is. At least it's summer. So things dry faster. Yeah. But it's been, this one work has been really frustrating. And I, I, I keep, tackling it through different ways and things are just not working i don't know so that, so that happens too is it composition is it are you just it's color i think i think i think for me i always approach things visually through color so let i i can i guess i can talk specifically about the work i'm working with there's a figure in there and like it's a figure it's a friend of mine um it's a girl she's looking at a bunch of images and there are a bunch of photographs and i Initially, I started working fairly naturalistically, so with like realistic colors, and it just felt too saccharine, too sentimental to me. Like, what am I doing here? Like, I was really questioning myself. It was just getting a little bit too tacky. I don't know. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to change the whole thing. Um, started adding figures. I was like, start, I, so I'm working basically for, oftentimes I work on photographs, and it's nice to be able to take my own photos, which in this case I did. So I'm just collaging a bunch of like reference images that I took into this one image. So I started adding her into this image several times, multiple times. Then the composition wasn't working. I'm like, okay, maybe it's the colors. I'm going to like redo the whole thing, like repainted it over, restarted. Started working with these like really crazy reds and blues and completely unnaturalistic colors, which is by the way, not the way I normally paint. So that was, that was the challenge and all of it in itself but again trying to challenge myself which is always, always a good thing still not working i don't know i'm almost like thinking like maybe i should go back to this naturalistic thing that i was like i'm much more familiar with much more comfortable with so i, I don't know at this point i'm like it is a painting that is in my studio turned to the the back so i can't see it so maybe in a couple of weeks i'll go back to it and figure out what i'm doing there well that's interesting do you um, normally work directly from the photo to the canvas or do you do process in the in between yeah, so because like again that's something that that is nice that i'm you know i do commercial arts for a living so i, I work with photoshop on a daily basis so i'm pretty familiar it really depends on the work i do like i said working from a collage because otherwise it just becomes too direct so like i'm just copying a photo I'm like what's the point yeah so it's it's nice when you take your own photos with a good quality digital camera you it's a raw file so you can play with it on photoshop first before mm -hmm. you can edit it quite a lot before you start painting off of it. I tend to kind of freehand, like kind of like I have them, I have the files out open on the laptop. 
mm-hmm. and I'm basically like I'm painting fairly directly. I don't tend to do too much drawing, although it changes. Sometimes I would if it's like if the if the painting is massive, then yes, you have to you have to grid it up, and you have at least sort of make sure that the the shapes are positioned correctly but if it's a smaller painting you can you can kind of eyeball things oh that sounds great i mean i've actually never thought about taking my photos and putting them in photoshop before i work with pieces so that's maybe i should take that approach it's interesting especially if if you're taking your own photos and it's if if you have a good digital camera like a a good canon or whatever yeah it comes out as a a raw file and then you can uh you have a ton of options to edit it that sounds like a possibility as a part of my process to add to it. As we wrap up, you did mention you're going to be at the Artist Project. If people want to see your work and are in the Toronto area, where can they find you? What booth are you at so that they can go check it out? Oh, good question. I should I should have I should have had that written down. I don't have it written down. So I'm going to I'm going to be at uh, the uh, Toronto Outdoor Art Fair. I wish I knew my booth. It's 80 something. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Nathan uh, Phillips Square, right? Yeah, correct. So it's uh, the 15th through the 17th. And the next year, I'm currently talking to a gallery. So hopefully I'll have a, a proper gallery show sometime next year. Oh, that'll be fantastic. Yeah. yeah keep me up to date. I'll definitely update that on social media. So that'd be awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew, for your time. I really appreciate this. This has been really interesting to hear about your story and your journey and your work. So awesome. Thank, thank you so much. Thanks for reaching out. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.